I don't do a discovery call. It's like, you either want me or you don't. We do the consultation and I decide whether I want to work with you or not. It's a New York thing. It's like, okay, this is what it is. Can you do it? If you can, great. If not, call me when you can. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the editor-in-chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about nurturing creativity, finding their firm's financial footing, setting goals, and discovering their own version of success as a result. My guest today is a designer whose first career in luxury retail was a launching pad for his transition to full-time design. He shares how he's sidestepping supply chain issues, how he draws the line between the financial and creative parts of the design process, and why social media is quickly becoming the bedrock of his business. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Gabby where livable luxury is more than just a look. Gabby's design team curates the most exquisite selection of designs across all furniture categories with customizable features and fabrics to suit any style and every setting. Partner with Gabby to provide your clients a unique style and to get all of the resources you need to create beautiful living spaces. Explore Gabby online to access details and dimensions, product photos, and real-time product availability. And for a special offer on your next order, go to gabbyhome.com slash B-O-H. That's G-A-B-B-Y home.com slash B-O-H. This podcast has been sponsored by Morin Giles Leather. Founded in 1933 in Lynchburg, Virginia, Morin Giles is dedicated to designing and developing the most innovative and luxurious natural leathers for the high-end hospitality, aviation, automotive, and residential interior design industries. They also craft a collection of luxury leather bags and accessories as an additional avenue to showcase the inherent beauty and timeless appeal of their natural leathers. Visit morangiles.com leather to learn more about their collection of leathers and how they can help you with your next project. That's M-O-O-R-E-A-N-D-G-I-L-E-S dot com slash leather. I did not always know I wanted to be a designer. The thing is, growing up, I used to get in trouble for moving things around or rearranging my room. So I knew I've always been into it, but I didn't know that's what I wanted to do until later in life. I really wanted a career as a physical therapist. And then when I couldn't pass biology in college, I was like, okay, let me pivot. And then I went into healthcare management. While going to school, you know, that's when those shows like Trading Spaces came out. And I was like, wow. So there's really an interior designer like kind of dictating what people would do within these spaces. And so I did some research and I was like, okay, so I can go to school for this. So after I graduated with my degree in healthcare management, I went to SCAD and enrolled in the interior design program. That's Alvin Wayne. While pursuing his interior design degree, he took a job in luxury fashion retail to support himself, then stuck around for longer than he intended. 
So when I graduated, it was a recession and nobody was hiring an interior designer. I just stayed working in luxury retail and I kept getting promoted. I was always doing the windows, building props, making sure the environment of the store was beautiful. So all of those things that I actually do now as an interior designer, when it comes to staging, when it comes to making floor plans and creating renderings, I had to do the same thing when it came to working in the retail space. But that is how I ended up in New York. And then when I got here, I was like, okay, let's pivot. Let's really focus on what you really want to do and where your passion lies. And that is when Alva Wayne Interior started. In 2014, Alvin began taking on interior design clients while still holding on to his day job in fashion. Then, the pandemic hit. Suddenly, the tug of war between the two careers gave way to a greater realization. I needed to make a decision, like, are you going to go interior design full-time? Are you going to stay in fashion? Because I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. I think the pandemic made me focus on what I really wanted and my family and what and what was important to me. I realized I really wanted the freedom to be able to live the life that I wanted to live because life is too short. It's not promised to you. And I think that whole pandemic just really showed that. It kind of gives you the push to say, you know what? Let me just give it a try. Let me see what happens. I was already positioning myself to make that transition. It was just like the perfect time to go ahead and do it. I wanted to talk to Alvin about dispelling the stigma around shopping retail, why he decided to ditch the discovery call, and how his social media presence became the centerpiece of his business. You put up your website in 2014 mm-hmm. and kind of officially announced to the world, look, I'm in business. Mm-hmm. Was that the moment that you knew in your mind that you were laying the framework to officially make the switch or did that realization come later? I think when I put the website up, that was the moment that I realized like, hey, you have to take a chance on yourself and you need to start working towards that goal. So that was the beginning of me starting to work towards that. And the good thing about working in fashion, that helped me pay. I paid off all of my student loans. I made sure I didn't have any debt before I left corporate America. So it's like I started positioning myself to make sure that I would be okay financially. And then so I can really just focus on the creative side of the business, but still take that business that I've learned working in corporate America and apply that to my own business and kind of not have to take on every project just because I needed the money, you know? When you were first starting out, what did that business look like? How did you set yourself up? How did you structure it? It has always been me from day one. Um, and it was it was a learning curve. Um, <laughs> I think with every inquiry, the whole process looked different. Like I used to do a discovery call and then I would do the consultation and then we do the design contract. Now I don't do a discovery call. It's like we do the consultation and I decide whether I want to work with you or not. (laughs) I kind of cut a lot of things out. Yeah. Kind of get straight to the point. And I used to never discuss pricing up front. Like if people emailed an inquiry, I would go through the discovery call, the consultation, then we would talk about pricing. Now, if you send an inquiry, hi, this is the price for blah, 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 starting at X, Y, Z. And then if you can do it, now let's have a, cons- a consultation. If not, thank you. But it's like I've, I've learned to get straight to the point and not waste time. Yeah. 
how long does it take to to make that shift or when you know when (laughs) (laughs) it took a while for me to find that voice Mm -hmm. and i think it's as i become busier with social media things with projects that i'm working on i've learned to get straight to the point and it's like either we're going to work together or we're not that is such a new york thing isn't it yeah it's a new york thing it's like okay this is what it is can you do it if you can great if not Call me when you can. Yeah, you're in or you're out. And then still decide if it's a good fit. I want to talk a little bit about getting rid of that discovery call because I think that's amazing. When did you decide, I don't need to do this? I decided I need to drop the discovery call when the discovery calls started to turn into a consultation. Like Mm. I would tell people like, hey, this is a 15 minute call just to see what you need and like if this will be a good fit. And then when they were like, oh, I can show you pictures. I can do this. Do you want to do Zoom? And I was like, I don't really need to do this discovery call if it's going to turn into this. And so I think that's when... I cut it. And then the first email, when they send their inquiry, it's like, you need to tell me what you're looking for. And then I'm going to respond and say, okay, great. I'd love to help you with this. The price for that starts at XYZ. The consultation price is this, 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 this. If it sounds great to you, we can set up a date to do the consultation. And I just get straight to the point because I feel like if we get to the consultation, I'm going to see everything I need to see within those 90 minutes that I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about that consultation. So I, I heard you say you charge for it. Mm-hmm. That time is not free. No. There's still a chance after that consultation call, you know, you have a loose sense of scope of work. You've given the client a loose sense of how much it will cost them. Mm-hmm. But there's a chance that you will look at everything they bring and you'll say, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So during the consultation, it's like I'm really trying to figure out how they live in this space, what they need and what they want. And, you know, I'm loosely coming up with concepts and ideas And I'm giving them that feedback because I've also learned, too, sometimes people only need a consultation. They just need you to come in and say, yeah, well, this this works. This looks amazing. You were thinking X, Y, Z. That sounds great. Maybe you should add in this. And that's all they need. Wow. Okay. You know, that's all they need. They just need your advice. And so then some people are like, oh, I love everything you said. Okay, can we, you know, move to the next step? Like, I want to see a full design plan. I want to see, like, what this could look like and, you know, how much I would need to spend for this. But if I don't think it's a good fit, I'm still going to tell them, like, I gave you the consultation, like, my ideas and stuff. But at the moment, I'm not able to work with you. I never really turn people down like that. But if I know my schedule is, like, overbooked or, like, I'm still knee-deep in projects that I'm trying to finish up, I'm also very transparent about that in that initial email. If they want to do something, I say, we can schedule a consultation. But if you want to move forward with, you know, becoming an actual client of mine, we can do the consultation now. And then maybe three months or six months from now, we can work together. And sometimes a lot of people are like, I really want to work with you, but I need to get my budget to where it needs to be so we can execute all these ideas that we talked about. I'll call you back in three to six months. And that's okay, too. Yeah. At what point on this journey is someone, you know, signing on officially, signing a contract? Yeah. So basically, when we when we do the consultation and everything's great, I'm going to send you that initial design contract. Like, I'm not going to do a design plan before I get a retainer. 
are you signing this contract? So you're going to sign the design contract and you're going to pay me my retainer. And then I ask for at least two weeks to come up with a design plan. And then after those two weeks, I present you the design plan. And then I say, based off the budget that you gave me, this design plan comes in at budget or blah, 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 over budget. And then we, we go from there. And if they say, you know what? I love it. Let's do it. Then we, you pay me my other money and then we order everything. <laughs> you make it sound so fast and easy. And I know that. It is. I tell my clients all the time. I'm like, this process goes fast. Like I just recently, I took on another project in Brooklyn. I did the consultation in April and he was like, well, how long is this process going to take? I was like, it's not that long. You just need to make a decision. So after the consultation, he was like, great. I sent him the recap. He was like, let's move forward. Sent him the contract. He paid his money. I came back with a design plan. He loved it. And I was like, great. We can order everything today. Everything's in stock. We ordered everything. Most of his stuff is there already. Um, his sofa comes next week and the media console comes next week and then we're doing install and he'll be done. How is that possible? I've learned to pick things that are in stock. And that <laughs> that's a pandemic pivot, I would imagine. Yeah, that's, that's a pandemic pivot. And it's not a large project at all. It's it's like a, a one bedroom condo. Like it's, it's not a large project. So it's fairly easy, but he needed everything. But I just made sure I, I got things that were in stock that that we absolutely loved. It just so happened to work out. Is that retail or? With that project, I did retail. All retail. I did not do any custom. I didn't do any showrooms or anything. It was all retail. I mean, that's pretty miraculous compared to, I feel like, the timelines that most people tell me they're kind of slogging through. Yeah, I think I've learned with retail, too. So it's it was mostly Crate and Barrel, Rove Concepts, uh, West Elm, CB2. I've learned that when the newest items come out, they're pretty much in stock. So yeah. it's, I made sure I was going for the newest stuff, but I made sure it worked with what we were doing. And so I think this one just happened to work out. But I also have another project in Hudson Yards. I did all retail, too, for that. And we started this project in January. Her furniture will not be delivered until August or September. So it's like, gosh, we could. And I actually told her, I was like, I feel like I want to cancel everything and just start over. <laughs> What, because you would do it differently? I would change the, the design concept completely and try to find things that are actually in stock. The thing is like when you work with clients and you get to know them, like you want their homes to be complete. You don't want their homes to be like in disarray and halfway finished. Like you have this amazing wallpaper up, but you still have your old stuff because all the new stuff isn't coming yet. And so it looks crazy. I don't want my clients living in chaos. It, it feels incomplete. And I, yeah. it's always like you're waiting and you're waiting to finish stuff. I don't want them to feel like that. And also, I want to move on from their projects, too. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Your firm has always been you. Mm -hmm. How have you tapped outside help to manage your workload? I recently hired an assistant. I do have a design assistant that helps me with sourcing. And like, you know, when I show up at... Um, clients homes when we do install days or partial installs like he's there to help me but I really leaned into 
great outside help. Like the wallpaper company that I use, like we have a great relationship. He's, he does everything, every project that I do. I have a great electrician. So I've just really leaned in on and built those connections and those relationships with people. So it's almost like when I call, they're like, sure thing, I'll be there. This is when I can be there. How can we make it work? Yeah. The things that they do, I can't do myself, nor do I want to do. Do you have dreams of a bigger sprawling firm where you employ many people? I would want to bring on another assistant. I don't know if I want like a big sprawling team. I think because the way that I design in my thought process, it is purely in my head. At this point, I don't know if I would be able to say, okay, here's an inquiry. This is your project. Right. But my name is still attached to it. You know what I mean? I, I just don't have that much trust right now. But I feel like if I was to bring on another assistant and then I could really train someone to really just be another version of myself, then I think over time, yes, because I know that I've trained this person and now this person can train the next person and so forth and so forth. But I, I think I like being in control and I like the ideas being my ideas because I think when it comes to design, too many ideas can just cloud everything. Like I just, I like to cut all the noise and just be in my head and like produce, you know? How do you do that? How do you create the space to do that? I, well, I work with music sometimes, but lately I just need it super quiet and then I can really think. And honestly, my best ideas come to me like when I'm on a plane or I'm in an Uber or I'm somewhere where like I can't do anything, but the plane is like the best place because, you know, I'm not paying for the Wi-Fi, so I'm not on my phone. I'm just <laughs> listening to music and I'm like resting and that's when all the ideas come to me or whether I'm just like at a state of rest. And I tell all, like people are like, how do you do this stuff so fast? Like. I will be laying in my bed and I will be doing a whole mood board <laughs> on my phone in the bed. But I, I've learned that I have to be at rest for me to create. You can't like block off time on your calendar and be no. like, in this moment, I'm going to create a thing. Yeah. No, because it won't happen. It, I can't even block off moments to source for people if I wanted to. Like it just has to naturally and organically happen. That's also why I asked for two weeks to come up with a design plan, because I can't say, oh, I'm going to have this to you in three days. And I just don't feel it or I don't see the vision, you know, even though I've seen the vision when I'm there. But yeah. when it comes to me actually sourcing this stuff, I'll always have the vision, but I won't always have the time to put it together until I'm at a place of rest. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind designers about more in Giles Leather the world's leading leather developer. Morin Giles is dedicated to designing the most innovative and luxurious natural leathers for the high-end hospitality, aviation, automotive, and residential interior design industries. They also craft a collection of luxury leather bags and accessories as an additional avenue to showcase the inherent beauty and timeless appeal of their natural leathers. Visit morangiles.com leather to learn more about their collection of leathers and how they can help you with your next project. That's M-O-O-R-E-A-N-D-G-I-L-E-S dot com slash leather. Is the consultation for you also where you are discovering kind of the client's, you know, aesthetic inclinations? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Or how are you, you know, like, where is that happening where you kind of see not only this is what the space needs, but also this is what's right for them? Mm-hmm. So that normally happens on a consultation. So I'm very observant and I kind of, I let them lead the consultation. I say, okay, tell me what you need. How do you live in this space? What do you want? Like, tell me everything. Let's start at the front door and let's just go. And so I really listen to them and I take notes and I pay attention I also do look at, you know, their wardrobe. I look at certain items in their homes and I can tell the person that they are and the person that they aspire to be by listening to them and also watching them. And then I say, okay, well, give me who are like some of your your fashion references when it comes to fashion. Like, who do you follow on Instagram? Like, I, I try to tap into who they are. Like, what type of music do you listen to? What do you enjoy outside of the home? Do you like to entertain a lot? So all those questions kind of help me figure out who they are and then what type of space they really need. I would imagine, you know, people who are coming to you, they are following you on social media. Mm-hmm. There is also, I would imagine, absolutely a piece of them that wants very specifically what you do. Mm-hmm as that has sort of solidified, how does that impact sort of the the interaction you have with clients around aesthetics? If they follow me on social media and they found me on social media, I think that is so important because they know what to expect. They know what they're getting and they lead the conversation with, hey, you know how you, you have that neon sign in your entryway? I love that. Or you know how you put the two credenzas together? I love that wood. They reference things that I've done in my own space and then other projects that I've done. Then I'm like, okay, so I know what you like. And so that really helps me so I don't have to pull teeth and say, gosh, well, you're really traditional and I don't design traditional. <laughs> traditionally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody's ever coming to me and be like, I have a, you know, a Victorian era home. I need you to like restore it to its natural splendor. They're like, no, <laughs> I live in the city. I live mm-hmm. in a white box and I want you to turn it into a home. Has that been freeing for you creatively? Yes. And it's been so freeing and it's, it's still a challenge because I'm like, I've gotten somebody says, oh no, I want that sofa that you have in your house. I want the exact sofa. And I'm like, well, I try to give them versions. It was like, no, I want your sofa. So it's been challenging as well, but it's also been like a good challenge because it's like, all right, no problem. You want my sofa, but how is it going to, it's going to look completely different in your house. It will not look the same. People want you to knock yourself off. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I'll give it to them, but it'll, it'll still become, it'll still feel completely different. Like if you put the images side by side, it'll be completely different, but you'll be able to tell that I did it. But it will not be a carbon copy. And I'm just going to change mine anyway. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part that's unspoken, I would imagine, with the client. But at that point, I'm like, hey, do you just want to buy my sofa? (laughs) (laughs) What is something that has tested you as a business owner? I think earlier on feeling like I was doing more work than I was being compensated for. I think now that is why I'm so upfront in that first email about this is my price and you can pay it or you, you know, or you don't have to, it's okay. And like, it's also taught me to get my systems in in order. So it's like, you know, I'm going to send you a link for payment. You can use uh, any major credit card. You can use your checking account. You can use your debit card, your debit card. Like there's no excuses. You know what I mean? 
But it's also that financial part of it has also taught me to be really picky about who I work with. Like in the beginning, if I feel like, you know, this person, I'm not really sure. And then I have to chase you for money. Then it's like, okay, I should have trusted my gut from the beginning. So I think that was a pain point and a pivot point for me. And also the clientele that I'm working on and the level of projects that I'm working on now. So that has also changed. So I think it's, it's all encompassing. Like I grew, the projects grew, the caliber of people that I'm working with that that's changed. So I think it's all different. And I think it's now everybody understands like what's going on. So we don't have to say like, Hey, you owe me money or gosh, I got to wait until you make the money to pay me. Like, no. (laughs) get yourself together first and then and I think it 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 helped me like I'm having that conversation about money right from the beginning like this is the cost you know whether you can do it or not and if you can't it's okay like I've had clients say you know what I really want to work with you I'm gonna up my budget I'm just gonna need a couple you know a couple of months to like save up or do what I need to do and that is totally fine because we are we're being transparent about it and it's like, if you come to me and I want to give you the best design possible and it costs this amount of money and you don't have that amount of money, then you need to go make it. And I'm okay with waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what to you is the secret to leveling up? I think the secret to leveling up is just the growth from within. I don't really think there is a secret. I think you kind of have to go through those bad apples to get to where you're at a point where it's like, okay, this is what it is. I've done my due diligence. I've done the dirty work. And you kind of got to be burnt a little (laughs) in order for you to... Singed around the edges. Yeah, in order for you to just be like really upfront and say, listen, this is what it is. It's almost like you got to get the business out the way first and then you can be creative. And I like to explain it to my clients like that first. Like, hey, you're paying me. So we got the business out the way and the rest is all towards your project. And then we can be creative. We can go do everything. And I don't have to work. You don't have to worry about money. And I don't have to worry about money. We just need to worry about the finishes that we choose. What was your journey to getting there? My journey to getting there was it started with feeling like I wasn't being paid enough. Like I was doing more work than I was getting paid for. Like things would go on for, you know, a couple of months. And it's like, but I only got... X amount of dollars, but we keep adding stuff to it. And your place is amazing, but I have nothing really to show for it. Yeah. It started with that. And then it started with, you know, as the project budgets got larger, I realized like I need to make more money. I can't, I can't do all of this for pennies. So, and that's when I came up with like what I felt comfortable charging per project or per, you know, whatever it is, room, scope of work or or whatnot. Your fee is a percentage of the client's budget, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then with that being said, there is a certain number that if you say my budget is X, Y, Z, we cannot work together together because I feel like I'm not being compensated enough. So that, that goes back in that initial email and at the consultation, like your budget needs to be starting at, then we can work together. So I feel like I'm being compensated enough. And so you can have a, a design that 
that works, you know? Mm-hmm. Because if somebody says, oh, I want to do my whole house for $10,000, A, I'm not going to get any money. Two, what kind of design are you going to get? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> when did you first start looking at social media as a revenue opportunity or as a promotional opportunity? You know, how did you, when did you first start saying, you know, there's something here? You know, my social media used to be just like projects that I did or, you know, just interior design stuff. But I realized when I started showing more of who I was and my personality, that is when the followers came along. Okay. And, and that's when brands started to take notice. And my first brand partnership started with me. It was with CB2. And it started because like, you know, I would go in the store, I would tag them. I would take my followers along with me and be like, hey, well, this is what they have. And, you know, I would do that with a lot of stores just, you know, as I'm sourcing, just show it. So I think the brand started to notice. And then with CB2, there was a bed that I wanted and I had sent them a message and I was like, hey, I'm about to purchase this bed. But before I do, do you guys want to partner? And they were like, sure. And that partnership turned into like an even bigger deal. Like it went from August and then I did like a holiday campaign with them. Like it it turned into a whole situation. And then I was like, oh, this is something. When was that? It was during the pandemic. Okay. Yeah, it was like 2020. Is that when you also started kind of putting yourself into your social media? Yes, that is when I started putting myself into my social media. So I kind of leaned on when I used to watch Top Model, how Tyra Banks used to talk about branding yourself. Yeah. And then she did an interview on the Wall Street Journal that I watched, and she said, a lot of people want to be better than everybody else. You want to be better and you want to do this. But she said, different is better than better. So in order to be better, you need to be different. And I thought to myself, how can I personally be different? And how can I be different from every other interior designer that's just showing their work? Yes. Like people need to get to know me, A, because if they know me, they feel more comfortable with me coming into their spaces, telling them what they should and shouldn't do. They also get to watch me for a while and see my thought process and see how I design and why I do what I do. And so I needed to just put myself out there. So I had to let go of all those things about, oh, you sound to this, you sound to that, blah, 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 blah. I had to literally let it go and just start being myself and showing the world that. And now when I show up in clients' house, they're like, yep, you're the same album from Instagram. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I tried talking to the camera once on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I mean, like people were like, oh my gosh, this was so fun. And I was like, what you didn't see was that I talked to myself for two mm-hmm. hours and mm-hmm. systematically deleted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. It's horrifying at the beginning. And in the beginning is horrifying, but now it's gotten to the point, like just me doing that, that has helped me like when it comes to a camera crew is in front of me or even a camera for like photography, I instantly turn it on and I can pick up this phone and do an Insta and like record, post, don't even think about it. I don't have to re-record it, I don't have to edit because in my mind, I'm talking to friends. I'm just letting them in on what's going on. Was it just about kind of suffering through the gut-wrenching part where it wasn't quite so comfortable and instantaneous? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I even started a YouTube too. I started a YouTube during that time and I was like, if I ever wanna be on TV or if I ever want a TV show, I have to get comfortable speaking on camera. 
And I set up the camera and I just talked and I did it. And you can see the growth and the evolution. If you look at the very first YouTube video to now, <laughs> it's a completely different person. Yeah. <laughs> I realized like I do have a true talent and that's the ability to be an interior designer and to think creatively and see things and, you know, put things together and make it make it beautiful. And I think when all that happened and I let go, the brands really started to notice. And that's when I got tapped on the shoulder from multiple brands to like, hey, do you want to do a partnership? Let's do this. And then the money that's in brand partnership, a lot of people don't know, but it is a lot of money. We're taking a quick break from the show to tell you about Gabby, where livable luxury is more than just a look. Gabby is the go-to brand for fresh transitional design pieces that strike the perfect balance between form and function. Learn more about Gabby's in-stock product and exclusive to the trade pricing by visiting Gabby online or at a to the trade showroom in Atlanta, High Point, Dallas, or Chicago. And for a special offer on your next order, go to gabbyhome.com slash B-O-H. That's G-A-B-B-Y home.com slash B-O-H. We talked um, a couple weeks ago about the fact that, you know, the money is really good in brand partnerships and you are looking to pivot some of your business Mm -hmm. away from design clients and towards these partnerships online. Mm Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? Or what do you want that to look like in the next year or two ahead? I want to pivot away from doing so many design projects. I'm already selective, but I want to be more selective about taking on projects. Because now sometimes I'm like, oh, this is easy. Like, let's do this. But now I want to be very selective of like, hey, I'm only doing two major projects a year and the rest is all brand partnership. And then also leverage those brand partnerships to coincide with those projects that I have going on. So let's say if I'm doing a renovation and Kohler wants to partner. Hey, Kohler, I know you want to do a partnership with me. I live in a rental. I don't need any sinks or toilets or mirrors. But guess what? (laughs) I'm working on this reno and I'm going to need all these things. So it's sort of like a win-win situation for the client myself and for the brand, because I'm creating content centered around that project anyway, because I'm showing the world, hey, this is what I'm working on currently. But guess what? I also have a brand partnership with Kohler. So on my end, I'm getting paid from my client and from Kohler. But to my client, they're like, I'm getting free stuff. Yeah. And Kohler's like, I'm getting my content. So it's really a win-win situation for everyone. And I really realized that actually last week I was um, working out at my Harlem project and I actually showed it and it, it has an outdoor terrace. I have a partnership with a plant company and they were like, we'll send the plants for your client for, the, for his outside terrace. I didn't ask. They just saw it. And yeah. so for my client and I was like, wow, this is insane. And I was like, yeah, because... I'm going to show it anyway. I'm going to create the content. So why wouldn't they want their product to be tagged in it? Because the world is going to see it. God, the client has to be so bowled over by that, Mm -hmm. by getting the free stuff because they're working with you. I've even had a mistake why the wallpaper installer basically ruined $700 wallpaper. And I was like, I'm going to have to eat the cost of this. But I called a brand that I was working with and I was like, hey, this is what's happening can I get this wallpaper? They were like, sure thing, just tag it. That's amazing. So it's like, it saved my project and my client was happy because nobody really had to eat the cost of that. 
And then on top of that, I was like, well, can I get a mirror? Can I get a lamp? Can I get a, can I get a rug? And they're like, sure thing. Just tag us. How do you map out what you're posting or what is, do you have kind of a, a strategy that's guiding your posting schedule? My strategy is my gut. It depends on how I feel that morning. <laughs> if I wake up and say, oh, I want to talk about this or I'm going to post this, then I do it. If I wake up and say, yeah, I don't feel like it, I don't do it. I'm in stories almost every day because I feel like that's where people get to know you really. Yeah. And I always say like your, your Instagram feed is your billboard, but the stories is where they get to know you and know your personality. And then you also show a little of that on your feed, but it's in the stories where you really connect with people. So I tend to always show up in stories and say, this is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And on the feed is like the more polished and like the glitzy and the glam, you know? <laughs> How often are you posting on your feed? Honestly, it's when I, I used to try to say, I'm going to post at least three times a week. Now it's probably like once a week. Like if I don't feel like posting, I'm not going to post. There's even been brand stuff that the brands say, oh, it needs to be up by this day at this time. And I have not done it because I didn't feel like it. <laughs> and I let them know, I'm not going to post that today. I'm going to post it tomorrow. And they're like, okay. Is there a pressure to the social media side? Do you feel a pressure to create certain kinds of content, to adapt to the algorithm, to change the way you work? At one point, I felt the pressure. But I think now, this is the part of me that doesn't care. I go back to that part and I'm like, I don't care. Because I feel like if people... If they genuinely enjoy me and the content that I put out, they'll stick around, regardless of the algorithm. And I think sometimes when you just constantly put stuff out, because I, I look at Instagram every day. So there are some people I can tell that they're just putting stuff out just to put it out. And I don't want to be that person. And if yeah. I can tell it, I'm sure everybody else can. So I've gotten to the point now where it's like, if you want to be here, you'll be here. And with the brands, too. Like, I'm not going to just keep putting stuff out because brands are watching. I'm going to put it out when I feel like putting it out and it's real and it's authentic. And I think the brands take notice of that and they're still, you know, they want to work with me. Yeah. I've been in the back of my mind thinking about, you know, we were talking about shopping at retail. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there can be such a stigma about mm -hmm. that in the I industry. Cringe when they hear that. Right. How have you broken out of that? Or how do you think about that? This pandemic has also taught me that everything does not have to be custom. Everything doesn't have to be vintage. Everything does not have to have a hefty price tag on it. These retailers, they do make quality pieces. And I think as an interior designer and a creative in general, it's all about how you put things together. And I'm a real person and I live within a real budget and I have clients that have real budgets, even if it's like a hundred thousand dollars or more, it's still a budget. And I'm right. a firm believer in like, sometimes you just don't need to spend that much money on things. And so I think that's where it comes to when it's like shopping with retail. And then let's be honest, all of my brand partnerships are retail. It's not, yeah. it's not showrooms like, Oh, come, come, you know, I'm going to pay you $50,000. <laughs> no, retail has the money. So if I'm going to say, I, I'm going to push this item from Crate and Barrel because they paid me to do it, then you never see me use Crate and Barrel in any of my projects. How is that being authentic? And for me as a designer, I want to show people you can mix retail and you can mix custom. My whole bedroom is all CB2. 
but you wouldn't know it unless I tell you. It's all about how you mix things together. And it's about mixing high and low. With one of my projects, some stuff came from retail. And then I custom designed some stuff that's being made. Like in a workroom? Yeah. So it's all about how you put stuff together. Like I needed nightstands. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make them. I drew a design, sent it to my furniture maker, showed my client. They were like, yes, I love it. So the nightstands are actually going to be, two nightstands are going to cost more than the bed. (laughs) <laughs> because the bed came from retail. <laughs> but it's also something that nobody else is going to have. But when you see it all together, you're not going to think, oh, that bed is from CB2. You're going to think this is a beautiful room and it looks expensive and luxe. So I think that is the difference. And even with the Brooklyn Project, everything is retail. Yeah. When you see it, you won't think so because it's all about how you put things together. And I think that has to be the point of difference with interior design and interior designers in general, because any normal person can shop retail. Right. But any normal person can't put things together the way that we can put them together. And I challenge any interior designer who thinks that everything has to be custom or everything has to come from the showroom or everything has to be over the top or bespoke or anything if you tell them, go in Crate and Barrel, go in CB2, go in Pottery Barn and do a whole house, but it can't look like it, will they be able to do it? That should be a show, actually. <laughs> this should be a show. But it's all about how you put things together. And I think that is what my clients enjoy about me. And I think that's honestly what keeps me grounded and real and not keep my, you know, not head so high in the sky, like, oh, if you don't buy this $30,000 crystal chandelier, it's not going to work. Guess what? I shop at Etsy. Etsy has amazing light fixtures. I I have custom rugs from Morocco from Etsy, and they were 900 bucks. You just got to know how to shop. Yeah. Even my large project, we're, we're getting rugs from retail, and I'm combining three rugs to make one big one and just recutting it. So it's all about how you think. To me, that is, that is what I find enjoyable about this. It's like, hey, I love this rug. Yeah, it's from CB2. But guess what? We can get three 9x12s. We can put them together, and then we can recut it, and now it's a custom rug versus the $60,000 rug that we were going to get that your kids are going to spill juice all over. So you feel comfortable spending $3,600 for it versus 60000 And you've structured your fee so that you don't feel shortchanged by that. Yeah, not at all. This is the same house that a $40,000 custom Roche-Bibot sofa is going to go in on top of a $3,600 rug that I I put together. It's all about high-low. And I think, and I always go back to, this is how we dress. You can get a whole outfit from Zara, but you're going to pair it back to your Prada shoes and your Hermes bag. That's how we dress. Why can't our home look like that? It's about how we put it together. Totally. What is the one thing you wish you knew from the get-go when you started your firm that you know now? I wish I had more confidence in myself to be able to really lean into that I don't care side of me. (laughs) Because I think that I don't care side of me enables me to have difficult conversations right off the bat. It enables me to be 100% sure about the decisions that I make and not second guess myself. Yeah. So I think I wish I knew that, but I also know that came with time and growing as an individual and just learning as I, as I go, you know? Totally. 
What does success look like for you? Success for me looks like being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Success is freedom. It is financial freedom. It is freedom to travel. It is freedom to say, yeah, I'll work with you or no, I won't work with you. It's the freedom to just live life and be unapologetically myself. That is definitely success for me. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, hear more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, and Fred Nicolaus. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.